most entrepreneurs don't have a problem with coming up with ideas on new products or services or whatever. You can have all the ideas in the world, but unless you have a great team that's actually going to be able to make it happen, it'll never happen. You know, if we have some ideas, we just throw them out there. The fact that uh, we're designing something and building something for someone that really wants to get outdoors, it's hard to put in words how cool that feels. Hi there, welcome back to the SolidWorks Born to Design podcast, a collection of inspiring stories about those who create, build, invent, and engineer new ideas into actual new products. And by the way, they all use SolidWorks. I'm your host, Cliff Menling, and I want to thank you for joining us for this episode of the Born to Design podcast, Thinking Outside the Box or Camper. Today, I'm talking with Jason Bontrigger and Rob Miles, who both come from the camping industry. These two fascinating innovators created a revolutionary new camping solution from scratch, one that might change the way people commune with nature. Join us as they explain how they came up with their skinny guy concept, which is very unique. Listen and learn what it takes to go from a corporate environment to a startup using a new design in an old industry. So let's jump right into the interview. So both of you have a background in the RV camping business. Where did the idea start? Yeah, it was a mixture of things. Um, like I said earlier, I looked at a lot of different products and I went on a hunting trip uh, down in New Zealand with my dad and uh, two close friends of mine who are RV dealers. One of them in particular, we, we just began to brainstorm on some different things. And he actually ended up building the prototype in his uh, Quonset hut on his property in Montana. And we stayed in touch throughout the process and I went out and visited him in uh, December of 19 and uh, like, hey, man, let's what do you think of getting this going? And he he's very much a hobbyist. I mean, loves to outfit his truck and loves to hunt. And so I just said, I mean, we're going to need some fair amount of capital to get this thing going. And it was sort of from there that it began. Got it started in, in January, brought on a designer not Rob at the time, um, but just someone that I thought we could start down the path with a little bit and then uh, began working on that, on the design and everything. And then uh, just, just kept going, kept moving forward. So, so let's jump right into skinny guy campers. And I think we need to somehow say for the record, it's the skinny guys because it's the skinny guy on the truck, right? Yeah. It's skinny guy campers. And the reason, the way we came up with the name, um, I have a, a close friend and, uh, He's a very skinny guy, lives in Montana. He's, he's involved in our business actually a little bit. And uh, he's a great guy, but yeah, super skinny. And But he's very much an outdoorsman and uh, a guy that I admire uh, very much. So it's that, but it's also the amount of content that's in this product for the size that it is. There's a lot of heart and a lot of features in a very lightweight package. Historically, I mean, in this industry, it's really easy to just whip together a box and put all kinds of content in that box and you have space and you build cabinets around those appliances and those features. And we really wanted to take a different approach with a product to be used out in the wilderness. We wanted it lightweight. We wanted to have a lot of content and we wanted to uh, just have it be real skinny as we call it. So that's how it came about with the name. But the real advantage to this camper is if you're pulling a camper, you go to a campground, you release it from your truck, and, and that's as far as you go. Whereas this design allows you to get deeper into woods wherever you want to go, right? Yeah, deeper into the woods. It's really lightweight. I mean, it's only 800 or 900 pounds. 
and you put it on the bed of your truck and it, it's no higher. It's slightly higher, but very, it's, I mean, within an inch of the top of your cab. So you can fit through if it, I mean, essentially if your truck fits in your garage, our camper will fit in your garage. So it can really go just about anywhere. Doesn't impact your fuel mileage much I mean, half a mile per gallon on a, we did a 1500 mile trip and half a mile per gallon was all that it impacted it. So, so from an aer aerodynamic standpoint, it's very good. Um, it's easy to store. It's not very big. So, I mean, you can store it in the corner of your garage or you can actually lift it up off of your truck and just have it right there in your stall and just back under it each time. And as we go, we'll develop different storage methods. But uh, right now we're just working on getting the, the final design complete so we can um, order our parts and begin running production. Right. But but also with it being a, a lightweight model that you can put on your truck, there is still a lot of advantage. You have electricity, you have stove, you have when we talk about all that's included. Yeah. I mean, it has everything that a uh, that I mean, what a uh, typical RV would have, that which is our history. It's what we uh, used to do. And um, I mean, a stove, sink, running water, uh, you have a heater, you have hot water and uh, onboard batteries. Uh, you've got a solar panel that's actually bigger than most of the solar panels that are on any other RV out there. So, I mean, you can be out in the, I mean, you, you could be out in the boonies for five days running off of uh, your solar power and maybe, maybe more. So it depends on the temperature. We've done some testing in negative 10 degree weather and uh, we were able to stay out there for about, it would probably have lasted about three days, I think, with the propane that we had on board and I mean, even in that weather, it kept it at a comfortable 63, 64 uh, degrees inside the camper. So uh, you've got onboard clean water. And uh, we also have a feature on the on the trough of the of the bed slash roof where when it rains, the water will catch in the trough. And then you can hook a hose up to put it back into your water tank. So you can dedicate one tank to be rainwater for a variety of things if you feel comfortable drinking it you can but uh we don't encourage that but at least gives you the opportunity to collect water that would have in it especially if you're in a place um a very dry place and it does happen to rain and you want to need some more water um, it gives you that ability oh that's cool i had no idea yeah that's pretty impressive so so, so this guy just it was a hobbyist and he'd like to do this on his own and this was just his uh he was just going to do a one-off for himself right yeah. yeah yep and i think he he ultimately wanted to do more but with i mean with his his business um his name's donovan with with donovan's business being what it is i mean he's so busy on the retail end of things and so right. i mean he actually comes out here uh once every couple months just to help us out here and there and yeah great guy and like i said he is involved in our business uh still so it's been a lot of fun been a lot of fun so so this was january of of this year or, or last year? Last yeah, year. That's, that's what I was assuming. Okay. Yep. Uh, yep. Well, well, good time to uh, start. Sort of good and bad. I mean, it was a good time to start because we we had the goal of it being a company where you can really run it from anywhere. So like all of our files we wanted to have in the cloud and, and SolidWorks afforded that amongst other things. I mean, other systems that we've been employing. Obviously, you can't build product virtually. <laughs> so we do need a plant and which was where we're at now but um from the supply chain standpoint that's been difficult and then with uh, everything going on last year in our world health wise it just it was a pretty wild year to get something like this started but 
for me, it's more of a feather in my in the cap, really. I mean, the fact that we started this thing in the middle of a pandemic, I don't know. I brag about stuff like that. So <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. It, it, it's funny. I interviewed Charles Adler, who is one of the founders of Kickstarter uh, on the podcast. And I really got into that. And he was talking about even Kickstarter started in the housing market downturn, yeah. right? That a lot of companies, that's what people switch their gears. And of course, people are getting outdoors more than ever, right? I think uh, Yellowstone National Park had more visitors this year in, during COVID than any other year previously. So, so Rob, want to get you in here. When did you get started with this? And, and I guess you started to take it and build the design from there. So probably late in June of 2020, that opportunity kind of got presented to me and uh, uh, we worked through a few things and um, I came on board pretty much right after the 4th of July holiday and just kind of tried to get immersed. Uh, they were getting close to the process of building another unit pretty much right when I, when I came on board. So quickly jumped into, I guess, the full-on build and trying to understand design, um, design intent, and, and the processes that were all being used. And since then, we've kind of taken a little bit of a look at it through trying to find uh, reliable sourcing for mm -hmm. vendors of all the components, whether they're ones that we designed or they're ones that we're wanting to integrate within our design. And so we're just kind of taking a look at it, uh, trying to make some improvements from a strength standpoint, from a um, number of parts standpoint and a process standpoint. And so that's kind of where I've just lived since I've been here is just really getting immersed into that, just the overall concept of it, you know, and trying to get it to where it's gonna be uh, easily built. And so we can get it launched quickly and uh, get some units out there to, to get some feedback. So it's almost been a year, which seems almost impossible yeah. because it just seems like times went by so fast, yet sometimes I get home and don't even realize I was at work for the day type of thing. You know, it's just, it's an environment here that obviously we all get along quite well. We have to because there's <laughs> only a few of us. So it's just so open from a standpoint of, you know, if we have some ideas, we just throw them out there. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and everybody looks at things from a different angle. I'm probably the slowest at looking at things. I usually step back and take a look at it, but it's just a great environment to bounce those ideas off. And mm -hmm. we all have one major goal, which it's like a breath of fresh air versus other places I've worked, right? Is sometimes you always feel like there's this side and that side. Yeah. Um, yeah. But here it's just, we're all focused on the main goal and we all keep that kind of sight in mind. And, and so it's been, it's been great. I think I told Jason when I came on board and I'd only been here for a few weeks. And again, you know, we did a lot of running around going and meeting this vendor and meeting that vendor and decent amount of time behind the wheel. I told him, I said, at the end of the day, I had to take this job because I wasn't going to see um, some other engineer a year later and see what he was doing. Right. It was just <laughs> the fear of the fear of missing out. <laughs> I was like, I just cannot pass it up, right? So, and obviously very thankful that I did take it. But yeah, at the end of the day, I just like, man, it just seems so interesting, right? I mean, I'm a big outdoorsman from a, a hunting perspective. So just thinking about how this could enable a hunter, right? And we kind of think about this not as a mainstream or a traditional RV, but we kind of think it as it's a tool in the toolbox for someone that really wants to get outdoors and overlanding and that whole industry is really about 
just getting way off the beaten path and finding those things that most people wouldn't see or most people wouldn't be able to experience. And so the fact that uh, we're, we're designing something and building something for those types of people that are just going to get so far off of the grid and, you know, have those memories or be able to share things through photos or videos or just the stories of the things that we all like to do. It's hard to put in words how cool that feels. Well, you're obviously very passionate about the product and the industry, right? And what you're doing. So you didn't want to pass that up. So, right. yeah. I, I wanted to go back. You talked about your design process, sort of. Does a lot of it start within SolidWorks or in the design package or a little bit of both? Yeah. So it really is a, a little bit of both. I don't know that I dive right into the deep end, but we were definitely already treading water um, when I got here. So I kind of had to just jump in and be immersed as to where we were at. And so we definitely had some working prototypes and we knew that we needed to get some things integrated into it. So, you know, just a quick example, a lot of the original parts were just formed, but there was nothing that located them from part to part. Um, and a lot of the fasteners, you know, we're trying to clamp things together so that we can drill the holes through multiple pieces and, and apply the fasteners and things along that nature. So the bigger part of what we wanted to improve from a design process is get location features in there, get parts that fit together well, have all of our fasteners, which the majority of them are uh, stainless steel closed-in rivets, get those located within the models. And as we started to just build upon what was there, then we all were looking at it and we said, you know, we don't necessarily like some of the fitment issues, right? And I think all of us coming from the RV industry, we all forefront and center in our minds are the fit and finish, right? And it's the things that people touch and see that usually take something that's good and make it great or take something that's good and make it mediocre. So I think all of us really wanted to see what was there as something that was good mm -hmm. and we want to see it become great. So there was a lot of things that I did within the model that I said, hey, I think if we did this, um, we could look at it. And so I'd bring people in and I'd say, hey, you know what? I think we could do this. And then someone else would have an idea. And I'd say, yeah, I like that. You know, let's, let's, let's include that. And even just meeting with vendors, understanding what their capabilities are. It kind of just all snowballed together into where we're at. You know, currently the couple of models we're working on both had a good start but we know that on the horizon are models that we haven't got to yet. And so while they might be similar, um, there might be things that uh, are going to be new and unique. Mm -hmm. Plus kind of from a trailer docking perspective, um, it's something on the horizon for us just for uh, someone that might have an SUV, right? I mean, there's a lot of off-road um, enthusiasts and overlanders that are big SUV fans, you know, whether that be something as small as a Jeep Wrangler or Toyota 4Runners and things along that nature. You know, there's a big crowd of those people. And we wanted to be able to offer them the ability to take our camper, but then also give them, you know, some utility. So mm -hmm. uh, we kind of took that from, and, and we're still kind of there, right? We're going to build a model out of wood. So we don't plan on actually using it, but we're kind of at that, I call it the clay modeling stage of what an right. automotive design would be. So so it is kind of a mixture of all that, right? It all depends on which product we're working on and where it was at as we all kind of jumped in. But mm -hmm. I think having that flexibility to, 
bounce back and forth, I think, is a huge benefit to mm -hmm. us. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the cool thing about our design process is that we have we have a built-in, um, I hate to call it a fence, but we have fences in which we have to stay within. So the tolerances of a, of a truck bed, and there's only so many truck beds out there. And uh, so those are a big part of our uh, design requirements. I mean, we have to stay within those and below the cab. And so what we've tried to do with each model and what we will continue to do is to stay below the cab. Maybe at some point we'll get into other taller stuff, but but with skinny guy campers, stay underneath the cab or at the cab height and no wider than the cab. So from that standpoint, it's really made it more of a challenge as, as to how do we pack everything into this box and stay within those uh, those constraints. So yeah, that's been that's been fun. Um, challenging. Yes, yeah, so you guys are making uh, a lot of extra requirements for yourself, right? Extra durable, uh, designed for assembly. Sounds like you're trying to keep the part list down as well, Rob. Yeah, yeah, yeah so, sure. I'm trying to, to streamline and, and uh, think through some things and, you know, sometimes get get out of the box that we're trapped in is what we see and and then how we could go about it. And a lot of them, you know, from a process standpoint in the design, which I, again, another thing that just seems so cool is that, you know, in the past, we always said, well, we just have to process it this way. You know, there were so many constraints. And so with a lot of our assembly just kind of being done on our hydraulic lift tables or through hoisting it through our, our lift system, uh, we can kind of think we're not constrained to an assembly line that has that it has to be this way and oriented at this way at this point. So we've been able to go a little bit outside the box, even in some future thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. So that's that's kind of been a, a unique and uh, interesting challenge. Um, but it's also it's one of those that it's quite fun to think think that way. What I mean, you asked the question, Cliff, about what was a major challenge that we had, and I would say a, a major challenge we had was the amount of drilling that we were doing in assembling the what I'll call the, the first prototype that was built here in Indiana and the second prototype that was built here in Indiana. I mean, both of them, heavy drilling. I mean, I, don't, I can't tell you how many holes we drilled, maybe 1,500 holes? I'd say at least 1,000. Yeah, a lot of holes and had to drill out stainless rivets and to, to relocate a hole, take up a part and relocate another hole. And just, yeah, and, and I guess I say all that just to say that, and I'm not... This is not a, I mean, this, the software SolidWorks has helped us a lot when it has come to, I mean, I don't think we would be able to do what we're doing without it to make, make, have holes meet up. And uh, it's just amazing what, not only that, but what technology has allowed us to do in the manufacturing of this product. Well, that's good to hear. On those lines, what, what are the big technology uh, advancements you've seen, uh, maybe on the design side and elsewhere? I, I'm sure batteries had to be one of the, the biggest yes. things. I mean, if you were designing this camper 10 years ago, how much more difficult would it be? What what would have been the uh, advancements that makes it so much easier today? Because it seems like you guys have turned this around pretty quickly. Yeah, I think 10 years ago, I still would have been 3D modeling. If you go 15 years ago, you know, a, a lot of the industry that we would have worked in um, was in 2D modeling and try and think of all of these complex 
sheet metal bins with holes going through multiple mating parts. Sometimes they're through three, if not four parts. So the alignment of those, probably one of the easiest things for me from just a, a getting the engineering design down and communicated to the vendors is the ability to just send them the 3D CAD, right? Let them import it, let them look at it, let them take all the measurements and everything that they need. So I say it selfishly saved me a little bit of time by not having to detail out everything on a drawing, but really my time, you know, would have been translation time, right? You think back into the 2D world and if somebody needed to do something, I would have had to have made it all on a drawing with all the dimensions, send it over to someone. They would have had to interpret the dimensions, potentially recreate their own file and be able to send it out to their shop floor. So, you know, making these 3D models and using tools like interference detection, making sure that everything's going to fit together and then just being able to send it over and say, this is the part that we're looking to have made um, and for them to be able to take it from there. From my standpoint, just a, a change in how we accomplish the engineering design. That's that's been a big thing for me. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, great. And, and on the on the uh, entrepreneurial side of thing, what would your advice be for somebody uh, like how you you guys were before last January? You know, trying to make this decision. What's the best advice for an entrepreneur when they were going to jump right in with two feet as you guys did? What would be your advice for them? Lessons learned that you two have learned. I guess I would say that don't be don't be undercapitalized. Make sure that you have enough capital to make the uh, the business get it from idea to go. When I say go, I mean actually selling product into the market. Don't cut corners. I mean, we could have easily gone to market a while ago. We could have gone to market probably late last year, but I, I wanted to get the product to where it was uh, the holes were matching up and everything and just make it really easy to assemble because ultimately that's going to pay dividends down the road and um, have good financial advisors around and surround yourself with a really good team. You get what you pay for, I guess, is the best way to say that. So in our area, in, in our some of our backgrounds, I mean, we've got a fair amount of fabrication background in our past and it would have been easy to oh, let's go buy a laser and big, big brake press and let's do all this ourselves. And well, we live in Northern Indiana, the heart of RV, RV manufacturing. And I mean, there's good suppliers around. It's just a matter of, it's going to take a little bit more time to get the design and get it quoted and have them do their process to make the part. And, and their expertise is a lot more than ours. So um, we could figure out how to do it. It would have taken a lot longer, but um but yeah, great partners as well. I mean, in our past, it's it's the the design process sort of happened on the production line. Our process is that we want the design to happen first, and then we want manufacturing to follow the design. So it's very much design centric, and we do a little bit of adaptation on the line. But I wanted our our company to be a lot more, for lack of a better term, uh, design centric or automotive and in, in process. Because there's a lot of design that ha occurs in the automotive world prior to ever stamping a piece of sheet metal. So I guess that's th that's the main point I wanted to get across was that we're very much design oriented and wanted that to be the central focus of our business. So right, well that's important, especially something as as personal as a camper. 
I think Rob, you mentioned earlier, you want the, the things that the people touch inside the campers is, is maybe the most important pieces because if they walk in and say, oh, everything's here, great. Or if they walk in and say, oh, this is pretty cool. I like the layout. I like this, how this is going to work for me, right? That's going to be the most important thing. So, yeah. And I think we've, we've definitely focused and, and we're continuing to focus on how to make things fit together better and, and just clean, sharp lines, I think is, you know, where we're at, you know, we're very much a, a tool, like I said, you know, and, and almost a piece of machinery. And so we want that fit and finish to, to be there. Excellent. Um, even with it being a tool, we still have very nice colors to offer. <laughs> One thing, you know, maybe just a small piece of advice, anyone that's out there as a someone in college or, or someone getting ready to, to start a role as a designer engineer, uh, one of the things that has helped me tremendously is some training I received at a prior job, but just kind of focused around that lean, lean process, lean manufacturing, the Toyota way, whatever you want to call it, but just kind of understanding as to everyone is on the same playing field, right? I mean, we're all equally important at work. We're all just a different puzzle piece in building the overall structure of the company. Um, and understanding where it is. And so I told you my title at the beginning of this just to accentuate the things that I think are the most important for me. And I and I kind of set everyone down at one point. I said, just so everyone knows, like my most important part of my role is documentation of engineering design. So why my title is Engi engineering design and technical documentation lead. Because that's where I fit, right? I don't need any big title beyond that. Those are my two most important pieces. So whatever we design and however we design it, individually, as a group, as a small subset of us, number one is to make sure that that's documented and documented well, right? So everyone has input and sometimes you almost feel like the secretary as a designer trying to get all that, but you take it, you design it, you walk through and say, did I catch everything? And then when you do, you understand that you're sending it out right. Um, and then, you know, typically that design is captured and transferred via technical documentation, whether it be step files or 3D files that are shared and however they're shared. So that's why I focused on that. And one of the big wins that I felt, even though we haven't had these customer wins, right, where we get to hear these stories, which I probably anticipate that more than anything is Same here. going to a show and hearing someone talk about their adventure and how the skinny guy camper was just that tool that enabled the adventure. Yep. Like I don't need to hear him talk about the skinny guy and all the cool things about it. Right. I want to hear his story about the adventure and understand how our product made that adventure possible. Mm -hmm. But even prior to that, one of the biggest wins I've had is when, you know, another one of our coworkers here gets feedback from suppliers and says, man, for such a small startup, you guys have blown us out of the water with how you've communicated and how your technical documentation is laid out, right? How you're tracking things and how you've got things laid out. And so, again, it's just there was my small victory and how I felt like that's where I fit in the puzzle understanding how the parts go together and all of that is only going to come from talking to the people doing their job, which is kind of where that lean training came in and really helped me to understand is 
you know, if you think about it, at the end of the day, the guy putting the parts together is the only guy making money for the company. So he is the most important. So everything I can do to facilitate his job and him being better at it, that's where I fit, right? So somewhere down there, this is where I fit and this is my role in it. And I'm gonna have some great ideas and I'm gonna have some not so great ideas. I've had many of those, but the overall success is all of us working together and just knowing that none of us are on a different playing field. We're all just a piece of that puzzle to fit together. So, you know, no, I think that that's great, Rob. I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that as well. Again, you mentioned two main points. There is one communication. It's it's a yeah. huge issue, especially in production and manufacturing. So, I think you make two great points there. Yeah, yeah. The communication thing was probably something that long before I knew I wanted to be an engineer, and long before I took lean manufacturing that kind of, to me, or, or lean process, like I said, whatever you want to refer to it as, they kind of nailed home these things that and my dad had been trained in it, but he didn't have to tell me that. One of his big takeaways is, you know, he'd always tell me when there's an issue, and he, he spent 30 plus years as a quality engineer in an automotive assembly plant. He said, whenever there's a problem, the first person I go talk to is a person that ran the job because they're they're right next to the heartbeat of that product. And there's a gold mine of information to get there. So knowing that and then combining that with, again, in a past life, kind of living and job shadowing people in customer service. You know what I mean? There's a, there's a gold mine of information there. So yeah, those are, those are two big things. Really understand that. And again, the hardest part of solving a problem is identifying a problem. Mm-hmm. The one thing I was going to, I thought of something that uh, you had, you'd asked the question earlier about um, what would I tell an entrepreneur? I mean, you can have, most entrepreneurs don't have a problem with coming up with ideas on new products or services or whatever. I mean, I get, I don't know how many ideas a day that I have to not tell the guys because I, I know I'll distract them and I don't want to distract them, but I write them down. So my point is you can have all the ideas in the world. But unless you have a great team that's actually going to be able to make it happen, it'll never happen. So, and the funds to back it and to make it go. So, and even when you do go down the path of one, you have to get a focus on it. If you're constantly distracted by the next uh, wind, wind that flies across your face, sorry, man, it's going to derail you. So, but you got to have a whole, almost have to have a whole nother team work on that for you. So, but yeah, and someday we will. Yeah. But these guys keep me on track, which is great. And uh, it's a great team. Thanks for listening today. And remember that if you are looking to quickly create and collaborate on 3D conceptual designs and organic shapes using cloud-based tools and deliver innovative products to market faster, check out our 3D experience products. To learn more, go to SolidWorks.com slash 3DX tools. That's SolidWorks.com slash 3DX tools. We'll be back again soon with more great Born to Design podcast stories at SolidWorks.com slash podcast or wherever podcasts are readily available. Until then, keep innovating. I really hope that what you heard today has inspired you. If you enjoyed it, head on over to iTunes, search for the Born to Design podcast, and please leave us a five-star review so that this podcast will be recommended to more people, helping us expand the Born to Design community. Thank you.